I want to speak to us today about, uh, about joy and about choosing joy, about what God has set before us. We, we all know that we've got important decisions that we need to make every day. All of us have important decisions. And if you study the science around decision-making, scientists tell us this. The more decisions you have to make, statistically, the, poorer deci- the, the more likely you are to make a poor decision. Right? We, know, we know that to be true. The more you have, statistically, if you, if you make 10% poor choices, if you're only making uh, 10 decisions a day, you're going to make one poor choice. But if you make 100 choices, you're going to make 10 poor choices. Right? It's, that's logical. So the more decisions you have to make, the more poor decisions you make. And what happens is in the more poor decisions you make, you, you end up not making decisions. And so you, you, you stop making decisions. One of the things that they recommend is take as many of the decisions as you can out of your next day. So plan tomorrow's meals, tomorrow's clothes, tomorrow's meeting times, the day before. That way, by the time you get there, there's already far less decisions that you need to make. So some of you might be sitting there thinking, that's a very impractical way to free up space in my already overwhelmed life. I can promise you that it is not. Take as many of the small decisions that you can away from tomorrow even the ones that you make subconsciously, and you'll instantly have more capacity to make better decisions. That's why routine is so comforting for us. Routine frees us from having to make decisions about everyday life. If you can make small adjustments, I can promise you that you will have enough margin in your life to make better decisions. Some, something small like setting a meal roster for the week. When my wife and I first got married, every day we'd get home from work, and the first question we'd ask is, what do you want for dinner? And the reply would every single night be, what do you want to have for dinner? I don't know. What do you want to have for dinner? We were both hungry. We both needed dinner, but nobody wanted to make the decision, not because we didn't want to eat, but because we literally didn't have the capacity to make another decision. Right? I don't know if that's true in your home. It's true in our home. All right? So simple, set a meal plan for the week. You've, it's not just practical. You've, what you've done is bought yourself space to make better decisions. All right? Things like uh, share the driving. So not, not having to make decisions about traffic and routes is actually a beautiful thing. If you, when was the last time you sat in the passenger seat of a car, if you own a car? Not having to think about traffic is a beautiful way to free up time in your morning. Uh, setting out your clothes the day before. Nobody's at their best peak decision-making uh, prowess at 5 o'clock in the morning. And so what happens is it takes us longer to make a decision on what clothes we're going to wear. And also it takes up a a huge amount of our decision-making capability on clothes. Save time, set it out the day before. Take as many of the small unconscious decisions as you can out of your day. Science tells us the more decisions we have to make, the more likely we are to make poor decisions and then to stop making decisions. I want to speak to us today about what happens when we stop making decisions. So I go on a hike every year through a game reserve, and uh, it's just you, a couple of mates, an armed guard, and the wild. It's, it's awesome. And we know that the big five is called the big five because they, they are five of the most dangerous animals that you can encounter on foot. And the one that you're most likely to encounter is a buffalo. I don't know if, how many of you have been up close with a buffalo, but it is a massive, massive, impressive animal. It's, it's, it's huge. For thousands of years, humans have been domesticating animals, not the buffalo, right? Don't for a minute think that humans haven't looked at the buffalo for a thousand years and thought, that looks like a nice big beefy cow with lots of extra milk, right? They've thought that for thousands of years, but the buffalo hasn't been domesticated because not only is it big, uh, it's also angry. Not only is it big and angry, it's also not that very clever. 
And that's a dangerous combination, right? There's nothing more dangerous than big, angry, and not clever. That's how you die by accident. You get killed by accident. Big, angry, not clever. It's a bad combination. So the first encounter we have is a small herd of buffalo, and uh, it's, it's, qu- it's quiet, it's peaceful, it's tranquil, and, and we stand there looking at the buffalo, and the buffalo stand there looking at us, and everything's good. And it's quiet, and, and it's peaceful, and they just... And we're doing the same with apples, backwards and forwards, and then something changes. Like I can see something in the buffalo's demeanor changes. A thought enters his mind, and the guide recognizes it too, and so he claps his hands and he shouts, and the buffalo herd turn and they run away. So I said, what, what just happened there? He said, the buffalo was thinking to himself, is this group of people something that needs to be run away from or something that I need to charge at? And so he was busy making up his mind, and because he's not that clever, he's taking a while to make up his mind, and so I just helped make his mind up for him. You need to run away. So okay, that's fair. What's the problem? He said, well, if he makes up his mind that he's going to come, we've got a big problem. Because once he's made up his mind, he's charging, you can't stop him. You've got to get out the way, find a tree and get out. So all I did was change, I helped make his mind up for him a little bit ahead of time. Oh dear, my tablet just turned off. That's amazing. Friends, so many of us are sitting in the same position. We've got s- small decisions to make that if we made them early could be, could be made with a hand clap and instead they become decisions because we don't make them, they get made for us and they're now decisions that are running at us and we have to get out of their way. We can't stop them. We can't get out of the way quick enough because we're, because we're not making them, they are made for us. Let me just reopen here. Should have bought an apple. For so many of us, these decisions are, are our emotions. Here's what happens when we don't choose our emotions. When we don't choose our emotions, they choose us. And so they become an emotional buffalo charging at us that could have been stopped with a few hand claps earlier, and now we need to run for our lives. And everyone around us is looking for a tree to climb because they're about to get trampled by our emotions. So many of us don't have good reasons to choose our emotions, and we don't have the strength to choose them. And so what happens is they get chosen for us. We, because we overcome with fatigue of making so many small decisions, we don't make the decisions we have to make. They get made for us, and they become an unstoppable force that affects us and everybody else around us. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, Jesus says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus says to his three closest friends, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's going through the rock bottom of human emotion here. And if you know your Bible, you'll know that he's asked uh, he's asked these guys, he asks them three times to sit with him and to watch and to pray. Please, I'm, I'm going through a rock bottom here. Can you stay with me and pray? And they don't. They let him down three times. 
So he goes from being in this place of being overwhelmed to the point of death, and he goes to the cross. This, that's not the state that you want to go to the cross in, right? If Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to go to the cross, to suffer and to die, and to be abandoned by his Father, if that was his purpose, surely you want to, you want to go to that place in the best condition possible, right? That's the pinnacle of why Jesus comes to earth. You, you want to make sure that you are in the best place possible, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, to be able to withstand that, right? And yet Jesus, before he goes to the cross, is in the worst possible place. He's saying to his friends, please, can you just pray with me for five minutes? They let him down. They let him down again. And, and yet Jesus still goes to the cross, and he still goes through with it. How was he able to do it? The writer to Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus looks at the worst day of his life so far, and he looks at the joy that's set before him, and he chooses the joy that's set before him as opposed to the worst day that he's busy going through. He chose not to allow the situation of his life that he was in to dictate what he was able to do, but he chose one emotion over the other. If he hadn't chosen the joy that was set before him, if he had chosen the problems that, that he was confronted with, we would have been confronted with a whole lot more problems today. Remember, if you don't choose your emotions early on, they choose you. And once they've chosen, it's quite hard to change their minds. And so I want to look at the joy that's set before us today and then the practical of how we can choose our emotions. Every day, friends, we have the choice of joy set before us. The problem is for so many of us, because we aren't actively choosing it, it is getting chosen for us and it becomes an unstoppable force that we need to get out of the way of. The joy that Jesus has set before him was all of creation, all of humanity being reconciled to God through his death. And because of the promise of that joy, he endures the cross. At the lowest emotional point in his life, he's able to endure the cross because of the joy that he can see set before him. The joy that we have set before us is the same that Jesus had. All of creation will ultimately be redeemed to God. We can get up each day and choose joy because we know that in the end, all will be well and all manner of things will be well. And so we get up and choose to either live in the world that we're currently living in, which dictates our emotions, or we get up and we choose joy. Here's some beautiful things about joy. First of all, joy is a communal experience. Joy is at its fullest when we're in community. We can be joyful by ourselves. I can be joyful sitting in my room at home for sure. But joy will always be bigger, better, fuller, and more complete when we are in community, when I'm with other people. So in essence, to choose joy means that every day I get up, I choose community. I choose to be with people. I choose to push into the people that God has planted me with. I choose to push into the people that God has put me around with. And I choose to fight individualism and isolation by pushing into relationships because joy is a communal experience. So as, in essence, choosing joy means choosing people. One of the best ways that you can make up the buffalo's mind before it charges is by choosing to be with people so that you can experience a fuller joy. There's absolutely no substitute in science or chemistry for the chemicals that joy releases in our brains, endorphins, dopamine. You can try on your own to replicate them. You can try as many substances as you want, but then never, nothing will come close to replicating what our body naturally produces through communal joy. In 2 John chapter 1, John writes 
uh, this. He says, I've, I've much to write to you, he writes to the church, but I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. He has John, a man who understands joy, a man who has been with Jesus, who later in his life is exiled to an island by himself where he writes the book of Revelation, full of joy. And he writes, he says to them, I've got lots more that I want to write to you, lots more that I want to instruct you in, but I don't want to do it over paper and and ink. I don't want to do it over email. I don't want to do it over WhatsApp. I want to see you face to face because then our, our joy will be complete. We can have joy. I can have joy as I'm writing you and instructing you, and you can have joy there. But if I can see you face to face, our joy, both of our joy, will be complete. Friends, it's good for you to, be, to have joy on your own. It's good for your friends and your family and your community to have joy on their own. But your joy will not be complete unless you are face to face, unless you are together, unless you are planted in a community. The second thing that joy does is it unlocks creativity in us. Here's the thing. So many of us are stuck in situations that we can't get out of. And one of the reasons that we can't get out of them is because we lack joy. When we're lacking joy, all we see is problems. But what joy does is it lifts our heads and it opens our eyes to the creativity of God that's all around us. Last week, I was asked to take somebody into the bush. And this was kind of a bonus for me because it was a free trip to the bush and uh, and I got to be with somebody else. And so it was a bit, of, a bit of a bonus. To cut a long story short, we had some car troubles. And so what happened was uh, a man that had flown in from Johannesburg to bird with me and I spent 16 and a half hours in a car and we only birded for an hour out of 16 and a half hours. It was a little bit, it wasn't what was planned, let's put it that way. It wasn't great. So I got home, I got home and I was okay. And I resigned myself to the fact that there was nothing I could do about it and I chose joy. The next morning, I woke up and I was making breakfast quite early as my wife was making lunch for all of our children. And uh, my oldest son was sitting at the table and he said, oh, listen to, all of the, listen, listen to that silence. He, he values silence in the morning. I normally listen to music and this morning I hadn't. Um, so he said, listen to all of that silence. And as, as I stopped making breakfast to listen to the silence, I suddenly became aware of about eight species of bird calling in the garden, two of which I hadn't heard calling before all of which I'd missed, on, missed out on the, the previous morning because I'd been stuck in a car. They'd always been there. They'd always been there. That night I, driving, I was driving uh, back from gym. I went to a gym to play squash, and about 9 o'clock I was driving home, and uh, I became aware something was moving out of my right-hand window, and as I, I looked out the window, and there was an owl flying next to my car. As it followed me up Armstrong Avenue in the middle of La Lucia, landed in a stop sign in front of me. All of those things were, were, were always there. But what me choosing joy did was it unlocked creativity and it opened my eyes to the creativity of God that was always around me because I had chosen joy. Because I had chosen joy. Proverbs 15 verse 23 says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. But how do we practically choose joy? We know that if we don't choose our emotions, they end up choosing us. They become like a charging buffalo that can't be stopped. So what do we have to do? Three quick things. How, how do we choose? Three quick things, and then we're done. Number one. Oh, dear. That's restarting again. Number one, we choose joy again and again. I could have... I could have called this choose joy all over again. I could have choosed... Uh, I, could have, I could have called this... I uh, could have choosed... Thank you. <laughs> I could, I could have called this uh, choose joy, <coughs> excuse me, 
choose joy early. I could have called it both of those things, but I called it choose joy again and again because this is what's important. See, most people are happy to choose joy once. Most people will choose joy once, but very few people choose joy again and again. And that's what we have to do. Yo, sorry guys. There's a lemon here. Choose joy. That's right. Problem is, I can't use my phone because I'm using that to control that. Technology is a blessing. (laughs) Absolute blessing. We're happy to choose joy once, but what happens is we make a choice, and then because we've got so many other choices to make, we stop choosing joy. How's that unfortunately works? Negative choices last a lot longer than positive choices. Have you noticed when you choose anger that you're angry for a lot longer than when you choose joy that you're joyful for? Have you noticed that? Because joy leaks. Negative consequences of our choices unfortunately last a lot longer than the positive consequences of our choices. And so because we, be, we suffer from decision fatigue, we stop making those positive choices again and again and again, which is what we have to do, which is what needs to be done. The reason for this is that we live in a fallen world. Our natural desires are not in the right direction. They're broken. And so the law of entropy is at work in us. When we left to our own devices, things don't get better. They get worse. As Jesus begins to redeem us, though, he also redeems our desires. And so what was, what was once in me a broken desire that, that naturally gravitated towards anger and deep, long-lasting anger, as, I, as Jesus begins to redeem that in me, so that become, begins to become, and as I begin to choose joy, that begins to become my default position as Jesus redeems me. Well, I think one of the greatest gifts that human beings have is the ability to choose one thought over another. The ability to choose joy, and then not, not only to choose it, but to keep choosing it again and again and again. When the devil is tempting Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he comes and he tempts Jesus three times. And it's, it's after Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And so the devil would have looked at it and thought, Jesus is weak. This is a good time for me to attack him. And so he comes and he, and, and he tempts him three times. And Jesus uh, comes back at him three times. And he, and he withstands against him three times against that. And then it, it, that scripture ends, ends like this in Luke chapter 4. In verse 13 it says, When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left Jesus for an opportune time. See, Jesus chose joy, and then the devil left him for an opportune time. When was it? That opportune time wasn't going to be when Jesus was at his strongest, most peaceful, and most restful. That, that opportune time was going to be when Jesus was at his lowest, when he's sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, my soul is overwhelmed almost to, to death. He's then got a choice. The joy is set before you, or your soul being overwhelmed to death. See, friends, the, the, the devil doesn't come to you and give you a slap when you're at your happiest, most contented, and most peaceful. No, no, he waits for an opportune time. He waits for you to be down, and then he kicks you. And it's at that point, when your testimony is on the line, it's at that point, when you're at your lowest, it's at, at that opportune time that the choice for joy counts for the most. I can promise you this, you can choose joy in the midst of your circumstances in the morning, but by lunchtime, you're going to have to choose it again. And then by dinner time, you're going to have to choose it again. And then when you go to bed and when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to have to keep choosing it again until it becomes a habit. But don't keep choosing until it does. Don't just choose joy once and then say, that's it, that didn't work. 
No, friends, you've got to get up and keep choosing it time and time and time again because the devil is waiting for an opportune time when you are decision fatigued for the buffalo to make up his mind to come charging straight at you. Number two, set your heart on things above. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul instructs the church to set their hearts, the center of their emotions, on things that are above. And the reason for this, he says, is because you have been raised with Christ. Because you've been raised with Christ, we can set our hearts, we can set our emotions on joy because we've been resurrected, because there's a resurrected Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, because we've also been raised with him. Friends, when we don't set our hearts on things that are above, what happens is that we end up living with a discontent heart. And a discontented heart is fertile ground for the enemy. Have you noticed when you're discontent, and as you lean into that discontent, as you push into that discontent, you're given a whole lot more reasons to be upset. You, you, you be, the more you lean into your discontentedness, the more justified you become in your discontented. Whether it's with a person or a situation, the more you lean into it, the more justified you become in doing it. Have you noticed that? See, a discontented heart is fertile ground for the enemy to sow seeds of discord, of division, of strife. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, keep making sure that your heart is content in Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Keep making sure that you've set your heart, your emotions on things that are above, not on the things of this world that seek to bring you down, that want to take you and put you in the depths. No, your circumstances might not be great, but your heart is not in your circumstances. It's on the things above. I think too many people suffer from setting their hearts on the things of this world. And so our heart gets dragged down and we can't choose joy again and again and again because our hearts aren't set on things that are above. Jesus says to his disciples, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. I think so many people struggle to have their hearts set on things above because they treasure the things of this earth. If our treasure is held in the things of this earth, if, if our treasure is held in things that are temporal, things that come and fade, if that's where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be also. So Jesus says, Paul, Paul instructs the church, set your hearts on things above. And you can't set your hearts on things above unless your treasure is on things above. Things that are above are things that are eternal. People are eternal. I can promise you, if you begin to treasure people, it will be a lot easier for you to choose joy. It will be a lot easier for you to set your heart on things above because you've, you've, you've placed your treasure in things that are eternal, not things that are temporal. Number three and lastly, set your mind on things above. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 goes further to say, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. So Paul says, set your emotions, but also set your mind. Too many people set their emotions to their mind and then wonder why their emotions are all over the show. It's because your mind is also all over the show. You have to choose what you put your mind on, on what you know to be true. This isn't a case of your emotions leading your mind. This is a case of you making a choice for your emotions and then making a choice for your mind. So often we think about things that are actually not thoughts, but they're feelings. And so we base what we believe to be true on what we feel and not on what we know. 
Paul says to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. To set our minds on things above means that we, all of our thoughts have to pass all of these tests. Our, our thoughts can't only pass one of these tests. It has to pass all of them. Friends, most of our thoughts fail at the first hurdle. This isn't a thing, you can think of something that's uh, true, you can think of something that's noble, or you can think of something that's right, or you can think of something that's poor, pure. No, Paul is saying every one of your thoughts must pass through this grid, must pass through this test. And unfortunately, most of our thoughts, most of what we set our minds on, most of what we think about, fails at the first test, truth. Is what I'm thinking true? Let's say 50% of what I, of what, of what I think is true. That's fine. Paul says it can't only be true, it also has to be noble. It also has to be right. So if, that 50, if there's only 50% of what I'm thinking is true, I then have to pass it through the rest of the grid. Even if it gets to stage three, okay, it's all of those things, but is it pure? If it's not pure, then I can't think about it. And when, when, when I allow my thoughts to not pass through this grid, it's very hard for me to set my, my mind on things that are above. What happens is my, my, my mind gets bogged down with the things of this earth. My mind gets bogged down into my emotions and my feelings and, wh and what's going on around me. It doesn't, get, it doesn't get set on things that are above. And so when my mind is, is not set on things above, it becomes very hard, almost impossible for me to choose joy again and again and again. For the joy set before Jesus, he chose the cross. We know that we don't, if we don't choose our emotions, they will choose us, and they become a charging buffalo that we can't stop. All of us have joy set before us every morning. Joy is a communal experience. It's fullest and most completest in community. It's most complete in community. Choosing joy unlocks creativity. We choose joy early, and we choose it again and again. We set our hearts and our minds on things that are above, not on things that are below. Can you stand with me, please, friends? What it means to be a Christian is that you place all of your trust in Jesus as the only one who can make it possible for you to be with him and not apart from him for eternity. And you commit to living how he lived on earth. What it means to be a Christian is that your past doesn't matter to him. Your future is what's important. It means that you were the joy set before Jesus when he endured the cross. Today, God has chosen you. And I'm asking you to allow God to choose you. If you've never made a decision to place all of your trust in Jesus, to be a Christian, I'm not going to ask you to come up or to do anything. I'm, I'm not looking to embarrass you. Why don't you raise your hand and it'll be my privilege to pray for you and to pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning? I want to pray for the rest of us. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came to earth and for the joy set before you, you endured the cross so that we could be in a relationship with you, a holy God. Thank you that you haven't left us alone, but that you've given us your Holy Spirit to be our helper, to be our comforter. 
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to keep choosing joy, to put aside our feelings, to let go of our emotions that hold us back, and to keep choosing joy, to set our hearts and our minds on the things that are above. Thank you that you are for us, not against us. We love you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for being here.